Very warm greetings to all in the blessed name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now we come to a new book, the book of Samuel. The church has been praying for quite a few prayer meetings over the last few months. I have been praying in my own personal prayers that the Lord will lead me to the book that He wants us to learn from. I've requested prayer for some of you as well, and I thank God for leading us to this particular book. Now, there were a few things as well that encouraged me, and, and I hope that will stir us as well. Now, after leading me to this book, I also realized that it, the, few, the first few chapters was on prayer, was on prayer, which is our church's theme for this year. So, wonderfully, how the Lord has led us. Not only that, our psalm reading of Psalm 70 today is about prayer as well. Now, with all these confirmations, I hope that each one of us will really take heed in the study of this book. We clearly worship a living God, and He has answered our prayers, and may we truly um, pay attention, obey His word that He's chosen for us in 2023. Now, let us turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Now, by way of a quick introduction, Samuel is the beginning of, or the book of Samuel is the beginning of the transition of Israel from the rule of judges, right, judges, into the times of the rule of kings. So, it's from judges to kings. And in this book, you will see three key characters, all right? Samuel, of course, and then the first king of Israel, King Saul, and also the God-appointed and anointed, but not time yet, King David. So these three main characters and how God would use Samuel in their lives. Now, when we look at this book and how it begins, we cannot but realize how prayer can actually chart the kingdom, kingdoms in this world. It all began with prayer, that God would bring Samuel into this world. Of course, that is God's already intended purpose, but how prayer was part of it. So, Christian, we must know that your prayers, your life of prayer, has great significance to yourself, to your family, loved ones, to the church, and even to the nation. Now, what is the background that spurred this prayer, right? The key verse, of course, is in verse 11. Please turn your eyes to verse 11. Now, and she, which is Hannah, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. This was her cry to God. Now, what spawned? this very urgent 
broken-hearted prayer, pleading, crying to the living God. Well, as we've read, now she was the wife of Elkanah, and Elkanah had two wives, Panina as well as Hannah. Now, Panina, in verse 2, God tells us that Panina had children, but Hannah, no children. In verse 3, we are told that, well, uh, sorry, verse 4, that Panina had sons and daughters. Hannah had none. Now, because, or rather, Christians, we must always remember. When we disobey God, there is always consequences in our lives. This was polygamy. God was always against it. But many of them, they ignored it and they practiced it because it was common. Common does not mean that it is all right. God has made it clear in his commandments. Consequences will always follow. This was a, a marriage filled with family strife. In this particular case, from one wife provoking another, causing the other to be broken-hearted. Now, if we see what Pen, um, Penina did, look at verse 6. Her adversary, see what God calls Penina, Hannah's adversary. This was not a peaceful marriage. Also provoked her sore. Now, this word provoke is to... Um, Provoke her sore is to say that is to um, cause the person to go through a lot of severe pain. So it was very intentional attacks, premeditated, to cause a lot of harm, to cause a lot of emotional turmoil. Provoke to sore, provoke her to sore is not just um, teasing her, all right? This was a very, very difficult situation for Hannah. Well, is and what is her intention? Verse 6. For to make her fret. Fret means to make her blow up. Alright? To make her so upset that she would explode. So it was intentional vexation to cause pain of such great, great intensity to agitate her, to provoke her, to elicit a strong response from Hannah. Can you imagine living your life like that if you were Hannah? And verse 7, now, and as he, which is Elkanah, so we are told that Elkanah would go up yearly, all right? Yearly could mean every once a year or it could mean as required three times a year. Right? So every year he would go up, whether it's once or three times, but they were told to go up three times. Okay? So whatever is the case, each time when they go to the temple of God to offer their sacrifices, now this is a time where Elkanah would especially irritate, agitate, provoke Hannah. Now every time they go up to the house of the Lord in verse 7, so she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Now, it was to a point where Hannah lost her appetite. She has no desire to eat at all. The journey was long. She would have been tired. But even that, it was that miserable for her. Now, verse 8. Elkanah, her husband, said, Why weepest thou? So this is a strong crying. Why eatest thou not? 
Why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Now, no matter how the husband tried to show her that it that did not matter to her, that he loved her. Look at verse 5. But Hannah, Elkanah gave worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. For he loved Hannah. Right? Was this the reason why there was strife as well, jealousy, envy? But no matter what was assured to her, was done for her, it did not bring her any joy or comfort at all. Now, this was the background that spawned this prayer. Now, Christians, as we go through life, sometimes we may face situations like Hannah, maybe at work, maybe in school, maybe at home, among relatives, where they taunt you, right? They provoke you. You're not married. Why aren't you married, right? Your friends get married, and then they invite you to the wedding, and then they taunt you. They despise you. Maybe relatives say that to you all the time. Or maybe you do not have a job. Every time your friends meet you, they do the same thing to you. Right? For whatever reason, you don't have a job. Or you're not in a certain position. You've been in this ordinary position all your life. And then they do that to you as well. Now, it could be health. It could be health. Some people are healthy, and then they look at you as an elderly your relatives, they want to make you envious and they say, oh, you think you must be done, you have done something wrong in your life. That's why you're like that. See, I'm so healthy. And then they talk about their health, their holidays and all that. Right, they taunt you. They taunt you in school as well. Hmm? Oh, you're so, you're not part of our group. You're not so clever. You're not good looking. And then they try to make your life as miserable as possible. Now, it is a good thing. It is a good thing that Hannah resorted to prayer. So there's one lesson we got to learn from the opening of this chapter. When you and I go through the greatest taunting, unfair treatment in life, now instead of fretting, exploding, taking vengeance with, uh, revenge with our own hands, well, turn to God in prayer. Turn to God in prayer. But you know, there is a great danger in such situation when we pray. You and I must remember that we must be very careful of our intentions in prayer. Because in such situation, we are not thinking straight usually. All right? We would typically be asking God for things that, well, may not be right. Out of anger, out of desperation, we may even do things that are wrong. Well, Hannah, we are told in verse 11, and she vowed a vow. Sometimes in our desperation, in prayer, it is good that we go to prayer. But we must not make foolish vows. We must not think that, well, God a bargain with you, all right? Or you manipulate God with a vow. I think that is one of the Sunday school lessons today, how timely as well, about Jephthah's vow. Now, in her case, God says she made a vow. Are you going to run in God? And Neil has said, God, I promise you not go. If you solve this problem for me, or you heal my child, or you give me this, God, I vow. In those times, we have to 
not only be very careful of our intentions, number one, be careful of our actions, our words before God. Now, is it wrong to make vows? Vows are not commanded by God. Remember that. Vows are voluntary. God does not command that the Christian must take vows. And God, but God says, if you make a vow, well, make sure you don't delay to repay it. God will hold you to the vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not pay it. You and I should be scared to death, my friends, just because you're desperate. Now, don't do something stupid before God. You and I need to be, should be scared to death before we ever open our mouth and make a vow to God because God will hold us accountable. We must be scared to death, frightened to death if we don't pay vows that we've made to God. Vows are not wrong, but vows must not fully be foolish. And in Jephthah's case, vows should not be wrong vows as well. All right? Now, I also want to get something out of the way before we learn about, about Hannah's prayers. Okay? Hannah prayed that, well, he will give. He will give Samuel to God to serve in the temple full time. All right? So she is promising full time work because she said, all the days of his life. No razor shall come upon his head. means he will be a priest, a Nazarite priest. So he will be a full-time priest in the temple of God, doing God's work. Now, is it right for us to pray, God, please take my child. Please take my child and make my child a pastor, a, a church pianist, a Sunday school teacher, a fellowship leader, uh, whatever it is that you can think of. Does it mean that every time we vow, Lord, I will, I will give my child, Lord, make my child this? Then God must answer. Is it right for us to say, God, my child should be this and that in your church? Want it to be in full time? Want to take over me as a pastor? That kind of things. Now, we have to understand, do not read scriptures as we've been studying in BBK. Do not take one passage or one verse and say, this is a theology of prayer. That all parents should pray that their children be, be full-time workers. Now, that all parents should pray that their children will be godly seed. They will be useful to God. That is, of course, every parent's prayer. But this is a specific prayer, right, to be in the full-time ministry. There are many other principles, the theology of prayer across scriptures. So you must apply all those principles. You cannot contravene God's will in prayer. Now, in fact, look at verse 11. You say, if, all right, if. She prayed, if. She was submitted to God's will. So, Christian, we must remember that. So, parents, be careful of this. Singles as well. Because sometimes it's not God's will for that thing. You cannot say, God, I vow, so you must do it. Now, in the case of Israelites, if a wife does not have children, it would typically be interpreted as there is sin in her life and God has judged her. Why? Because they were a national witness. To form a nation, for a nation to, to, to do the work of God, it must grow. So for their particular case, 
as a national witness, to be a nation, it needs people. And God promised, you will bear children because that is my intent, that you grow and be a strong nation. That is how I intend you to be and that is how I will use you. So to be not having children will be a sign of God's displeasure, even curse upon the child, upon the wife. But in the New Testament, you know that is not the case. We are not a national witness, all right? We are not told that the church must have X number of people. The church must be spiritual. That's what it is. So today, it is different. So don't carry that to today's context as well, right? Now, in Hannah's case, we must learn something about prayer. In times of desperation, in times of fear, in times of great trial and need, we must ask ourselves this question, the title that we have on a bulletin. Why do you pray? Why am I praying this prayer? Why am I asking what I'm asking from God? When was the last time that you wanted something so badly in your life? Or maybe it is now. Something that is so important, that you feel is so important to you, that you almost cannot do without it and live. Something that you've been, well, troubled in your heart for months, if not years already. And you go to God in this deep, broken-hearted prayer. You must ask, why am I praying this prayer to God? And that is what we want to learn. Now, was Hannah, I know some of you may think, well, isn't Hannah bargaining with God? You should never bargain with God. God, if you do this for me, I'll give it to you. We should never bargain with God. Is Hannah bargaining with God? Is she using, like I mentioned earlier, using a vow to deceive God? God, God you do this, all right, you do this, and I'll do this. Is she trying to manipulate God into doing something for her? Never do that. Was Hannah sincere? Now, scriptures will tell us this was not um, a bargaining tool, not a manipulation of God, not, insinc- not insincere, all right? How do we know? Well, first and foremost, in verse 11, now God tells us that Hannah vowed a vow. Hannah vowed a vow. Well, it gives us some hint that God accepted such a vow, all right? God was not displeased with Hannah's intent, okay? But to make it stronger, all right? To make it stronger. In chapter 2, in chapter 2, after God answered Hannah's prayer, all right? So those of you who know the story, you know God did give Hannah a child, and this child would be Samuel, Samuel, right? Now, in chapter 2, you will see Hannah's response in her prayer to God, which we will study. And in her response, you can see, now it is not about simply, well, God, please help me, please deliver me, and that's all. It was very clearly about the glory of God. It was always about the honour of God. God revealed to us that Hannah, in desperation, in times of great difficulty and affliction, prayed with a very clear reason in her heart. 
why she made that prayer. When, now turn to, for example, Psalms chapter 70. We just read that. Hannah understood the principle, the theology of prayer, and we must learn this first thing about prayer. Psalm 70. You know how to read the Psalms, right? The beginning is asking what we want or what is the, what is the details, what are the details. Then the ending is about the intention, right? So understand how to read poetry of Psalms. Now, look at verse 4. Now, verses 1 to 3 is about the request. Verses 3, especially verses 4 onwards, is about the intention of that request. Now, it says, let all those, in verse 4, let all those that seek, means come to you in prayer, this is about prayer, seek, rejoice and be glad in thee. And that's it? No. And let such love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. You see, even in this psalm, which is a prayer for the poor and needy, a psalm of David calling God to remember, remember him, just like Hannah said, oh, if please don't forget me, please remember me. What is the intent? Oh, let God be magnified. It was the same for Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It was always about the honor of God, the glory of God, and it's all about God. So the first principle we must learn from Hannah is when in such trying situation, when you approach the throne of God, let it be clear in your heart. Lord, I'm asking this so that it will be useful for you. Even when you ask God to help you, which is what Hannah needed. God, please deliver me from this terrible situation of being bullied like that. Give me a child so that this bullying would stop. Even though she's asking God for help, but yet she says, I will give this child to you. The, answers, the answer that I receive, Lord, I give it back to you. When you receive help, it is always still, the end result is always, should always be, Lord, please then use this for your own namesake. Use this for your kingdom. Not to waste it on yourself. Because in desperation, in great need, we ask God, God, please give me this. Please deliver me. Please help my child. When you get it, all you want is for yourself. Hannah could easily say, well, when she get the child, she don't have to make this vow. It's everything that she wanted, everything that will make Hannah whole. She can get this and walk around and say, Panina. I'm Elkanah's favorite wife. I don't know whether they had prams back then. I don't think so, right? They made a pram. Around. And this is Elkanah's favorite son. Right? Why give it away? Because now she could gloat all her life. She only asked for one. She didn't ask God, God, God give me many. She just said, give me a man-child and I will give him to you. The very one thing that she desired, she needed so much in her life. What is that in your life? But you say, if you help me, Lord, 
please use the end result for yourself. So Christian, that is the first thing we must check in our lives when we pray. Ask, why am I praying this? And give the own answer. Now let us then break down the prayer. Now if you, if you truly have a heart and a desire to pray that even what God helped you with, what He gives to you, it is for Him, for His use. Now, what would your prayer be like? What is the heart of that prayer? And this is what we must learn. We must keep building this kind of heart in us in prayer, in times of desperation, especially, at, and at every other time. Well, the first one is, now look at verse, verse 11. This is where we're going to study she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. That is the first thing we must learn. O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look. Now, what is this prayer? It's very unique. It's very strange, actually, because, well, she used the covenantal name. Well, God, you are faithful. But she did not say, she used Lord of hosts. It's usually for battle, because Lord of hosts is the Lord of the armies of heaven and earth. It's about God's power. Now, what is the first lesson to learn? Now, this is her acknowledgement in her heart that God is the giver of what she will receive. Not by chance or anything. Why? Because it was twice mentioned that God has shut up her womb. Verse 4. The Lord, not anyone else, has shut up her womb. Verse 6. The Lord has shut up her womb. Now, of course, she, even with that, she would know. Who can give a child except God? Nobody, right? Now she used Lord of hosts. She's acknowledging to God. There's no way anyone could help me in this. And if I, and if I do get a child, there is only one reason. You who are the one who open and shut wombs, you the all-powerful one that can give life, the only one that can control these things. No human being can. No help in this world can. You are the one who has done it. Now, what does it mean, Christian, when we pray like that? You don't need to pray a lot of hosts. If you pray a lot of hosts, you know what you're praying. You're saying, Lord, no one else can help me. And with this answer... I know it is definitely you who have given me help. You are the one who have resolved this situation. You are the one who have healed or cured or provided. You are the one. No one else. Impossible. Now, until you and I are so clear in our mind, we will not pray, Lord, give me this and I'll return it to you. Why? Because along the way you will think, Maybe it's not God. I, I think actually I worked quite hard. I was quite smart, you know. I thought of this solution and that. And then, you know, that doctor came along or that friend came to help. Ah, you know. But this prayer is Hannah really in her deepest of heart, in her deepest of grief. The first word that came out of her mouth is, no one else can help me, Lord. And if, he, if I get help, it is you. I know. And therefore, therefore, because it's so clear in my mind it's you, this thing always belonged to you in the first place. It was not through my intelligence, my capability, my, my ingenuity, my uh, friends. 
Because it came from you, it belongs to you. Why was Hannah so ready to say, Lord, if you give a lot of hosts, give it to me and I will return it to you because I know this is yours in the first place. If you did not help, it would not be present anyway in my life. So it is not mine. So Christian, in desperation, in times of need, be clear in your heart. Because it is God that gives, it belongs to him. It has always belonged to him. You would never have had that help or that thing. Now, but the problem with us is many of us is not in this kind of situation, right? The problem with us is we can do many things. You want to live in another country? You can fly there. You can apply for things. You can find ways to live there. You want to, well, achieve certain things? You have God's natural given strength, ability. We can do many things. But hers is a case where there's really nothing they can do. Have a child. Now, what am I trying to say? Christian, when we are in desperation, in, in these situations where we can actually do something. Can you apply for a job? I can apply for a job. Can I do this? Can I do that? I can. Can I look for a doctor? I can. Now, I'm not saying that we don't perform human responsibilities. But Hannah is not... How shall I put it this way? Maybe we... We move to the second one, all right? In verse 2. In verse, two, uh, in, uh, verse 11 first. The second thing. The first thing is know that God is the giver. Now, then it leads to if. Her next word is if. 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 Now, what does it mean? She is in total submission to God's will and authority. It is not God. You must do this. I'm your child, right? God is I'm in such an unfair situation, which is true. And therefore, God, you, since you are my father, you are my God, you must do this. No. It's if. If it is your will that I be delivered from this taunting. If. If, Lord, you will listen to me, you will hear me, you will give me. If. Now, this is back to what I was saying halfway just now. Many of our dreams, our wishes, our aims in life, we have the ability to do something about it. We are not saying if to God. Learn to pray this if. We are just simply telling God. We are not submitting to God. God, you know I'm going to this country to live and work. God, you know I'm going to apply for this course. God, you know I'm going to apply for this job. God, you know I'm going to see this, this um, doctor. God, you know I'm going to do this and that. We are telling God. You see, for Hannah, it's if. If. Not only she knew that there's no way that she can get any help. And if God doesn't want to help, it is not God's will. She says, if. If. You know what is the great danger of not praying this if? That is absent in our prayer. We'll pray, Lord, I'm going there. So, Lord, can you please do this and do that and do this and do that? Don't be surprised that God will let you do it. But you walk into God's chastative will. I think that is the problem in our prayer. In desperation, in deep desire for something in life that you've thought of, you dreamed of, and you really wish for so much. It means so much to you. You don't learn to pray if. We just go to God and tell God to do it. When I'm there, when I'm in this job, 
when I, when I have my child, when I'm in a marriage, when I'm in single, when I'm in this school, when my child is that, God, please do this. And that's all. If, oh, Christian, don't tell. Ask God if it is His will. To- total submission when you are in, even if you are in desperation. Now, then the third thing. Now, look at here, the prayer. Let us learn from it. Besides submission is, if thou wilt look, thou wilt indeed look on the affliction, if you will indeed look. Now, in fact, indeed and look in Hebrew are the same word. So, of course, the translators can't translate. And if thou look, look on my affliction, Indeed, look, is a way of speaking. The emphasis, all right, that if you be so, so kind as to do this, you will indeed be merciful to take a look. Look, please. All right? It's a double asking. Not just once, but pleading. If you indeed look, look. Now, what is the reminder when we are so desiring of some help, some deliverance, some, some thing in our life, whatever it is, in your family, in your personal life. Now, we must not approach God with a sense of entitlement. A sense of entitlement. Look, look if, if, if you just look. It's not like God must look. God must look into this matter just because we are in trouble. Now, I'm not saying for a second that God is not interested, all right? But simply because God invites us to come boldly before His throne of grace does not mean that it's a sense of entitlement. Now, we live in an age where a sense of entitlement is very strong. You see some of the things that are happening when prisoners, when someone does something very wicked and they're thrown into prison and when they are in prison, they will complain and they will expect. Now, I'm not saying that we must treat them with, with no dignity and with, uh, with abuse. I'm not saying that. But the opposite is true. When they're there, is I'm entitled to all these things. Why don't I have a gym? Right? Why don't I have um, this? Why don't I have that? The sense of entitlement, children have grown up with that. Spoiled from home, taught in school, come out to society. And Christians can be so... Well, like the Bible says, in the perilous times, we'll be lovers of themselves, means self-entitlement. When we go to God, that carries there. God, I'm in so much trouble, right? So God, hurry up, hurry up, look, look. Now you have to put yourself in Hannah's situation. It is really very difficult to live her life. Every morning she wake up, she will see Penanias, Penanas, uh, Peninas, um, children playing. Maybe the children say, Mommy, why, doesn't, why don't we have someone else to pray with? Just ask, well, why doesn't Hannah have children? I don't know. You know, this kind of thing. You face it every day. Hakana would provoke her. That kind of life. Now, if you're in a job, you can just leave the job. Right? If you're in a school that is like that, you can just tell mommy, can you please transfer me to another school? She is in there for good. You must not underestimate that. But yet she says, Lord, look, 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 please. 
Now, she understands that she is not worthy of attention. When we come to God, when we have great need, don't just simply assume and say that, God, you must give me attention. How That's how it is, isn't it? In school, at workplace, I'm expected to get the attention that I want. And it shows her great humility, a great humility. When she said, all right, for example, um, look and remember me and forget not thy handmaid. Remember me. Now, remember me means pay, please um, pay attention to me. Can you please give me some of your attention? Do we pray that? We come before God. God, sorry to trouble you, but I wish to ask for a bit of your time. Now, that is a heart, you know. The throne of grace is welcoming, but we should go to God with the greatest carefulness, right? That is, remember, right? That's remember. I am not worthy of your attention, but God, I hope you will hear my prayer. I'm not worthy, but I hope you hear my prayer, my pleadings to you. Now, then the next one, the next one. Then she says, look on the affliction of thine handmaid. And she uses the word handmaid repeatedly. Look at verse 11. Handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid. Now, in her, in her, in her deepest, in Christ, from, her, from the bottom of her broken and grieving heart, her th repeated thoughts in her mind is not entitlement, is not God must pay attention, but is I am your handmaid, your handmaid, your handmaid. Now, what's handmaid? Handmaid means, well, very simply put, servant. In some cases, it reflects a servant who is a slave. So that is her. I think if she uses three times, she is thinking of the context of I am just your slave. Just your slave. Now then, when we pray, we should learn. We are God's slave. We are God's servant. God is not our servant. Do not go to God. God, please do this. Please do that. Can you do this? Can you do that? Yes, we may, talk, we may tell our servant, please. We are still courteous. Now, sometimes people request prayer. They hardly come to church. They only text the pastors. Pastor, can you please pray for this? I'm going for this exam, going for that test, going for this job interview. Then they text. But they hardly come to church. My answer is usually this. Yes, I will pray for you. But if it's very repeated, I will not hesitate to say this. Because people must have the right idea of God in prayer. But please remember... God is not your servant. God is not your servant. You're supposed to worship him. You do not do that. And you expect that God must do things for you when actually you owe him your worship. Do not treat God as your servant. Sometimes we are like that. Now, I am not for a moment dissuading you from sending your prayer requests. All right? But let your prayer requests also, be reflective 
of who God is. So she repeatedly said, I'm your servant, I'm your servant, I'm your servant, I'm your servant. I'm your slave, I'm your slave, I'm your slave. I have no right to ask anything. But now I'm asking you for help. Now usually when a servant asks for help, right, when a servant asks for help, especially for slaves, they have no sense of entitlement. Even if they ask something from the master to help them, it is always so that they can serve the master better. I want to say that again. When a slave asks a master for something, they are clear in their mind. They are not so um, bold as to say, I need this so you give it to me, all right? It's for myself, fish use. They are very clear in their heart. I need to do this. Or, or I'm sick. Can you please help me see a doctor? So that what? So that after that I can go out and play? No so that I can serve you better. I can get back to my job in serving you. Can you please? You know, I, I don't have enough money. I said, for what? I get it so that I can, well, use it to do the things that you need to get done, to buy the things that you need for your household. So that is the attitude. If you wonder, Lord, am I someone who is asking things, bargaining for myself, manipulating God while well, this other Attitudes you have to check in us. Do we readily say, Lord, I'm your servant, and therefore, whatever you ask for, it is always for your use anyway. Yeah, help me. When you help me, it is for the purpose that you be honoured, you use it. That is what. So, friends, this is how we must begin to learn about prayer. What are you praying for? All right? What are you praying for? Now then, then we move, all right? Then we learn about that and we move. The affliction of the handmaid, remember me, and forget not thine handmaid, but, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, and I will give him unto the Lord. Now, she already said, you're the Lord of hosts. You are the one who can, the only one that can open up my womb. And if you give me, Lord, it belongs to you, and therefore... I give it back to you. All right? That is what she's praying. She's so clear in her mind. She's so clear in her mind. Now, friends, you think about this. The details of what Hannah goes through because of Panina. Why do you think God gives us those details? Things are so bad. And I mentioned just now, the only one thing that make, will make Hannah's life complete. But yet she says, she just requests for that one child. She did not request for many. Later on you will see. In fact, one of the proof that Hannah was not bargaining, Hannah was not deceptively trying to manipulate God and she was not sincere. The proof is later on in chapter 2, God will visit Hannah and God will give her some more children. All right? That is how pleased God was with her sincerity, her correct prayers, all right? Now, but here, she wasn't asking for many. She was, she was just asking for one. In fact, later she did not ask. God, God gave. God said, I will give. She just asked for one. The one thing that matters the most to your life, that will make your life complete, that will make your life what, in, what you want it to be and will remove so much problems in your life, that one thing. Would you pray? Lord, if you fulfill this, 
if you help me, that one thing is for you. That one thing is for you, Lord. I will give it to you. Now, one of the key principles that I hope we learn from prayer, and there's one thing that I learned for myself, I pray, Lord, teach me how I should pray, is this principle. When was the last time you and I prayed? Lord, please help me. Lord, please provide this. Lord, please answer my prayer. When was the last time you prayed and said, God, and Lord, whatever you give to me is all yours. When was the last time we prayed, Lord, whatever you give to me, they are all yours. All for you. Yes, you're asking for help. But you tell God, when you help me, when you provide it, it's all for you. When was the last time we genuinely prayed that? That we have that as our principle. In other words, God, you get. You get everything that I ask for. You understand what I'm saying? This is Hannah's prayer. This is the thing that I hope we learn in 2023. God, you get everything that I ask for. Even though that thing is so important to me, it is yours. This is the whole spirit of Hannah's prayer. No, it's a bit like that. You know, um, a child, all right? A child. You see a child in a playground in front of an ice cream store. And then lots of children were eating ice cream, all right? And then the child's and the child, the children, the cousins, the friends were all taunting, you did not get ice cream, you did not get ice cream, all right? And then they're all looking in front of her. And then the child get, taunt, get taunted, feels sad and frustrated and say, Daddy, please, Daddy, please get me an ice cream. Okay? But the child did not scream. Right? It's not, I'll scream at you until you give me an ice cream, all right? Did not fret. But just pleading, Daddy, please, would you, right, tears in her eyes, would you please give me, buy an ice cream for me? And then the father, heart is moved in love and say, yes, all right, all right, you know, I'll get you an ice cream. And he buys her an ice cream. And then she waits there, you know, drooling, is so excited, right, wiping off her tears and then smiling and then finding the ice cream and gives her the ice cream and she picks up the ice cream with a huge grin. She looks at the other children. She doesn't lick it. Both hands, she said, Daddy, I want you to have this whole ice cream. That is what this scene is. Everything that I ask for, Lord, is all yours. Can you imagine? You see that scene and your heart just breaks. Your heart just melts, right? But this is what it is. Hannah's prayer. This is what we must learn. Lord, everything, you get everything that I ask for. Why do you ask for anything? That is the answer to your prayer. So that God will get everything that you ask for. Is that your spirit in prayer? Or is it, give me, give me, give me, give me. Well, maybe here we ask ourselves several things, all right? Students, exam has just passed, all right? Imagine exam is coming and you're not well prepared, all right? Not that you were to be blamed or right? you were sick or something. And then you start to pray, Lord, please help me pass this exam. Please. Why do you pray? Always remember the title. So that God will get everything that I ask for. That is the answer. 
But most of us pray, Lord, help me pass my exam. Help me to give, give me the ability to study well. Why? Well, so that I will be admired. Right? I walk in class and I say, well, that, that is the top student, you know. So that I will be popular. So that I will get a good job. Now, I want you to understand. Most children have the idea. The, the reason for studies is to get a good job. Right? That is the common understanding. So that I can get a good job and get good salary and get whatever my heart's desire and be in high positions and all that so that no one will look down on me. Now, is that why you pray? Is that why you pray for your children to pass exams? Now you know. Learn from Hannah. Lord, that everything that you give to me, help me in my exams and all that, Lord, it is for your honour, for your glory. It is so that I can, Lord, finish all this and then not worry about this and go to church and worship you and learn your word and serve you and be useful to you. That is why I ask for these things. All for you, Lord. All for you. Some of you are applying for your PR. Now you begin to learn to pray. Most people want a PR because they want to be a better country, a nicer country, well, a place of their dreams. From young, they say, want to live in this country or another country or do this kind of job and, well, to travel, to sightsee, or it's a better weather here, cleaner air, whatever it is. Now, what is it? Why do you pray? So, Lord, I wish very much to stay in this country for good spiritual reasons, even if it is for spiritual reasons. They said, Lord, so that when I get this PR, this PR is for you. That I will not waste my time in this place. I will use my ability to stay here, to learn your word, to serve you, to be a good testimony for you, to evangelize, not to sightsee, holiday, and enjoy the weather and the air. So you see, there are so many things in our life you have to ask, why am I praying this? Now, by the way, when you request for prayer, when you request for prayer, we must be specific of why we're asking it. And always review your request for prayer. If the request for prayer, the end result is so that I pass my exam, so that I get a job, so that I get healed, my auntie get healed, my uncle get healed, so that um, whatever it is. Now, it's a very incomplete prayer. It is a prayer that shows that we have not learned to pray. The end result must be clear. Please request the church or please pray for me in this so that. And the end part must be something that honors God, that is for God to use. That is Hannah's prayer. Lord, if you do this, then I want you to have the whole child for you to use. Not for me to take home to pond, Panina. Not for that. Why do you pray for a job? Because you're afraid you can't support yourself? I'm not saying that you should not support yourself, you should not have a job. There's a dream to be in certain roles, not to be looked down upon, to have certain skills. I want that job, Lord, I want that job very much. Because it's an in thing now, the, the skill set that, 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 that will really be in, in great demand in the coming years. Is it that reason? For God's use, that when I am there, I learned this skill because I think that it's going to be very useful for helping the church IT or whatever it is used for God or that I will be in a place where there will be a lot of opportunities for evangelism. 
What is the reason why you desperately want that job for? You want your child to be healed, or your elderly, you want your health to be healed. Why? Why? Is it so that the Lord will be honoured, glorified, and that I will bring up this child in a way that will be useful to God? Or you're gonna, you are going to spoil the child for yourself and enjoy the child for yourself and your health so that I can travel, I can eat whatever I want and not have to abstain because of diabetes? What for? What for? Learn from Hannah, all right? Now, I think you get the picture, all right? You get the picture. Then now, we learn the next thing, all right? Let's look at verse Chapter 1, verse 11. And I will give. So you return it. All for the Lord. Now it says, all the days of his life. She did not simply say, I will give. All the days of his life, no razor shall come upon his head. Now we, you would know that this is the Nazarite vow, right? The Nazarite vow. N-A-Z-A-R-I-T-E. Nazarite vow. Now what is a Nazarite vow? Well, the first thing, we will learn is it is not a permanent thing, okay? It means the child or the person, I mean, in this case, we see in scriptures, someone say the child will go, go, go be a Nazarite uh, priest for a while, a, specific, a specified time. And the word Nazarite simply means to set apart and to consecrate, where, where you set apart yourself and consecrate yourself for, for a certain number of days in the Old Testament that you promise God, and then you go through a certain regime and you must not um, take any alcoholic beverage, you must not be near or touch any dead body and, um, and so on and so forth, right? The set of things. So it's a consecration to a lot for a period of time. Now, but here, Hannah was not praying the regular Nazarite vow dedication. That was not her intent because to her, it was something that is going to be Permanent. Permanent. So it's not just God, you will, God, I, everything that I ask for, you get everything that I ask for permanently. That is what it is. This was truly her genuine proof of her sincerity. It is not, well, let God have it for a while. Anyway, Nazarite vows is very common in Israel. No one is expected to, give, to do it in the first place. Secondly, is no one is expected to have it for life. All right? So even if I, Hannah, say the Nazarite vow will be upon him, I don't have to say all the days of his life is good enough. That was her sincerity. Are we sincere? When we say, Lord, if you answer this prayer, if you help me in this, and you know in your heart it is, well, it is for God to use. But really ask yourself, truly, is it? Now, there are many who pray, Lord, I wish to get married. I feel that singlehood is not my calling. And then they pray, all right? And God answers their prayer. It could be that God's will is indeed for them to get married. And by and large, you see, it is very common in churches everywhere in the world. After marriage the zeal drops. Suddenly, not regular in church as they used to be. Enjoying life. Enjoying the married life. Too busy with family things. It's not forever. Maybe just for a few months. Maybe the moment they get it, already change. Their lives change. It could be asking for kids. Right? 
We earnestly want a kid. We love kids. And we pray, 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 pray. And then the Lord gives. Now remember, God does not expect that every marriage in our times that there will be children because we are not a national witness. But it does not mean that God doesn't intend or rather that we should then therefore not have children. The intention of marriage as we uh, every time we conduct marriage is to have godly seed. That is the intention. So we cannot say I don't want to have children or I delay and don't, and, and don't plan for it. Now, in her case, oh, sometimes you pray for a kid, one needs so much. The moment you have it, the same. Used to be regular, used to be zealous. The moment you have a kid, suddenly disappear. Now, please know for Hannah, you say as soon as the kid is win, it will be for the Lord. And those days winning is a, not a very long period, right? One to two years, maybe three years, that kind of time frame. At the most, five years. But very often, in Australia, well, you have, well, no, 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 no. God prayed very much and then, no, no, I don't want a kid to fall sick. I don't want. But to her, it's not just she will bring the kid to the temple. She will leave this wind toddler in the temple. Is it all the days of our life? Are we serious? From the start? Well, some pray for a job. The moment they get a job, now I've seen this in many churches in my life. People who do not have a job, they were very earnest, they pray, they, they, well, they draw close to God, and it's a repeated trend in their life. The moment they get a job, too busy for church, too busy for anything else. Oh, God has already answered my prayer. It's a bit like, uh, God, if I attend, you will answer my prayer, right? It's very common. And the typical situation is after two or three times like that, the final time when they get a the job, they are no longer in church. We have that in our church today. That is what has happened. Not once, but as far as I can remember, at least two, right, in our church, that that has happened to them. So you must now begin to learn to pray and say, Lord, I don't trust my heart. Lord, my life is for you forever. If you give me a job, it doesn't change anything, Lord. My life is for you forever. All the days of my life, it doesn't change anything. I'm very thankful for some. They get a job, they pray for it, they get a job. And immediately the boss say, well, um, you need to work. This, and they say, immediately say, well, I, I really want to go for my church camp. I know it's the first year, I don't have any leave. But you know, this is really important to me. They're not, it's so important to them that they serve God, that they are part of God's people, even for church camp. I remember one, the parents say, well, you know, so good, huh? your church prayed and you got a job after nine months. Wow, so good, huh? you got a job. Then the son said, well, you know, yeah, and I'm going to church camp. I told my boss already, um, I'll get no pay leave and I'm going. Then the parents said, you got a job already? For what? And the child just, and his Christian parents, you got a job already, what? You know, and the child say, oh, oh, are you sure? That's what you're saying to me. Now I got a job, I forget God, is it? I thank, thank God for that. And this is Hannah. If I get this child, it was so important to her. The one thing that would really get rid of all the problems in her life, that even her husband cannot satisfy. And you say, it's yours. Take it, as soon as you win, yours, Lord. 
all yours. Did not forget God. Then you pray, Lord, give me Hannah's heart in my prayer. When I ask for something from you. All right, then finally, in closing, and shall no razor come upon his head. Shall no razor come upon his head. Now, from the genealogy, you know that Samuel, so the child is going to be Samuel, right? So for those who are not familiar with history, the Bible, the child will be Samuel. Samuel is from um, the Levitical line. So he is from the line of the Levites, the Levitical tribe. But he is not from Aaron's line. So he cannot be a priest. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. You know that, right? We studied that. So he would not be able to be a priest unless, well, he is a Nazarite priest. Please not Nazarene. Nazarene is a place. This is a Nazarite. Nazarite priest. Then he has to be that because he will offer sacrifices later in his life and all that. He can offer sacrifices. So now Elkanah, eh, sorry, Hannah, Hannah, no razor, said no razor shall come upon his head. Now this is Hannah understanding that this child will be set apart and consecrated to God for God's use. Because the word Nazarite means that, consecrated, set apart for God's use. That was her intention. Not for Hannah's use at all. Although it will make Hannah's life a lot better. But that was a prayer. Now, you and I must remember God's gifts, God's help in answer to our prayer is always to be used in consecration in return to Him. God help you in the exams, whatever it is, your job, it's always so that the time that you save, the money that you have, is all God's. Why do you think God answered that prayer? We will study next week, God willing. And therefore, you and I better be ready to return it to God because that is the reason why God answers our prayers. You and I better be ready to return and let God have everything. You know, that is the happiest kind of Christian prayer, answers to prayer that you can have. Now, dear friends, I mentioned in the beginning and I close. Three characters moving from judges to kings. Judges was a time of terrible decline and sinful filthiness of Israel. We know that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It was a terrible time. One bad king, Saul. One good king, David. But the person in between them, that helped them, that corrected them, was Samuel. Samuel. Now this would bring the nation to another stage where, where King David will unite the divided kingdom and he will be a very good king and he would be helped by this prophet and priest, Samuel. How did Israel's life change? Because of the prayer of one child of God who was in desperation, in this case, a mother, the prayer of a mother, who, is, who was in great personal misery, but she understood prayer. God gets everything that I ask for. And see the great usefulness of Samuel 
in the lives of many in God's work. That is what we must learn about prayer. May God teach us to pray. Let us rise to sing the closing hymn. 365. Let us rise. 365 days of the week, of the year. May God teach us to pray. Right? 365, teach me to pray. <laughs>